How many cigarettes a day is your loneliness? It's Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Psychology Today says this about loneliness. Loneliness is a state of distress or discomfort that results when one perceives a gap between one's desires for social connection and actual experiences of it. Now, first off, I'm not a psychologist. I am a lifelong student in human behavior and psychology, but that hardly makes me an expert. But I do notice things, and I notice people, and I notice my own behavior. I'm in good touch with my feelings, even though I don't always love how I'm feeling or know how to go about altering how I feel, certainly not as quickly as I would like. Like now. (laughs) My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Did you know that according to one Brigham Young University researcher, extreme social isolation can have the same negative impact on health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day? Now, if that's extreme isolation, then I wonder what moderate isolation, I wonder what moderate loneliness would produce. I mean, the equivalent of smoking how many cigarettes a day? Do you suppose that we could equate our degree of loneliness, our feeling isolated with some specific number of cigarettes smoked in a day? Curious minds want to know. Hope everything's good with you. I appreciate you clicking play. I'd love to tell you I know exactly where this conversation is going to go, but I'm not quite sure. But it's intriguing to me how many cigarettes a day is your loneliness. Now, the research makes a distinction between isolation and loneliness. Isolation is objective. Loneliness is subjective. You can measure isolation. Hard to gauge the subjective feeling of being lonely. It doesn't really matter, though. I don't. Well, it does for research, but for our purposes here as a podcast, it doesn't. We're just, we're kicking the can down the road. And having this conversation and trying to think these things through, seeing if we can make application and maybe we can learn a thing or three. Most of us, we just know whether we're lonely or not. Zinginstruments.com, don't ask me, but I Google researched it and found it. Zinginstruments.com has a list of the top 20 songs about loneliness. See if you agree with their list. I haven't researched it enough to take issue with it. I don't know if it was, if it's a list in any particular order, but here's the order that they did list them. Only the lonely by Roy Orbison. You're going to make me lonesome when you go by Bob Dylan. So lonely by the police space oddity by David Bowie. Lonely boy by the black keys. Lonely by Tom Waits. 
Eleanor Rigby by The Beatles. Pictures of You by The Cure. I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry by Hank Williams. Tired of Being Alone by Al Green. Man, big thumbs up to Tired of Being Alone by Al Green. Lonely Avenue by Ray Charles. The Loner by Neil Young. Are You Lonesome Tonight by Elvis. Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day. How to Fight Loneliness by Wilco. Cactus by the Pixies. I Wish You Lonely by Morrissey. Lonely Girl by Weezer. Lonely People by America. That was a great song. Solitary Man by Neil Diamond. Those are, according to zinginstruments.com, the top 20 songs about loneliness. There are lots and lots of songs, lots of poems, lots of stories about loneliness because it is such a universal sensation. And I do completely understand that loneliness is more chronic for some than others. And if you, if you suffer the feeling of extreme isolation, let me just say here, I am not a mental health professional. I'm just a guy who notices and who cares just get help and i know that that sounds so empty and so vague and so frankly worthless but you just can't keep going down that trail hoping that it will run into something better it won't it won't. It is liable to run into something much, much worse. So survey the people in your life. And if there, if there is nobody, then get on your phone and do a Google search and reach out to an organization. There are countless organizations that specialize in helping people through their dark moments, depression, high anxiety. There's a litany of the kinds of emotions that can just be crushing and the weight of them just seems enormous. It is completely safe to reach out to a complete stranger in these organizations. In fact, sometimes it's better. It's better to reach out to a complete stranger because that's why you're feeling alone. Maybe it's possible to be surrounded by folks and still be alone. I've examined my loneliness for as long as I can remember. And even though I'm an introvert, I am not antisocial. I've, I've never been extremely isolated. I, I, I don't quite even know what that means. I've never even really been isolated during the shutdown days of the pandemic. I was with my wife. I mean, I jokingly will say, and I say this pretty often, probably too often. I will jokingly say of my introversion and my need to get away at times that I'm just looking for a big rock to crawl under. Now that is much less about loneliness. And it is really more about my personal need to be left alone. Hey, sidebar, your honor, please. I wish some people had a greater capacity for observation and what we call soft skills, people skills. See if you can relate to this. 
Think of people in your life who have little to no awareness of how others are wired. They just, they go about their business. Everybody is treated identically the same as much as possible. The, that person who is extroverted or wants to be the most popular person around, you know, they work the room like a politician. And then often in my life, I hear these same people declare how we need, we need more social interaction. We I'm like, you know, speak for yourself, but their constant intrusion in my life, which I polite, well, okay. I started to say, which I politely, uh, sometimes not so much. Not, I'm not impolite. I'm just, I grin and bear it. Or at most I display open indifference. It just saps my strength like nothing else. Absolutely nothing else. Trust me. I know how to give off a vibe that even a blind person could sense. And yet these poor folks don't seem to pick up on it. And I've watched this closely all my life. My conclusion has never changed by the way, and I'm open for it to change, but I just can't find any compelling evidence to change my conclusion. These people aren't watching. They're not watching me. They're not watching anybody that they interact with. Look at them closely. Watch them very closely. Listen to them very closely. These folks who work this room appearing to befriend all comers, notice something, if you please. It's not about the people that they're greeting. It's not about the people they're interacting with. It is all about them. It's about them being seen. They don't notice the effect they're having on anybody else because they're not thinking about anybody else. They're not thinking about me. They're not thinking about you. They're in it for themselves. Hey, let's talk about noticing or not. I don't remember a time in my, my life where I didn't notice true confession. I have spent way more time wishing I were like everybody else. And I I'm using that in the harshest generalization possible. I get it. There are people who notice I'm not crazy enough to think that I'm alone in this, but the average bear goes through life. And I'm not saying selfishly, that's not it at all. They just go through life, not picking up some of these little subtle, well, I, I have learned over time, they evidently are subtle cues. They aren't subtle for me. They don't look subtle for me. They, to me, they look like, well, I tell this story and it bears repeating. You likely haven't heard it. And if you did, you likely don't remember it. I used to go to lunch. I had a favorite lunch place that was directly behind my office. And I had a particular waitress that was especially attentive and they knew to sit me, seat me in her section. And the section was full. I said, that's fine. Just put me wherever. And they did enter this new girl. Had never seen her before. She was very pleasant. The carpet in this place was hunter green. 
dark, dark green carpet. And a waiter had dropped a straw paper wrapper, white, bright white. It was kind of crumbled up, but it was on the floor. Well, it just stuck out like a sore thumb to me. I watched waiter after waiter, waitress after waitress, customer after customer walk over this thing. Our waitress came. We ordered our iced tea. Off she goes. And I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm watching these people pass over this straw wrapper on this hunter green carpet. Waitress comes back, puts our iced tea down, walks promptly to this wrapper, picks it up, puts it in that little apron thing that waitresses wear and off she goes. And I made an observation to my lunch partner an employee. And I said, that's an attentive waitress. I may have found my new seating section and turns out I did. And I appropriately bragged on her when she came back and told her, and she looked at me like, yeah, well, that was nothing. And I felt like, yeah, that was nothing, but it was something because there were countless other people who walked over it. And many of us would say, well, they're just downright lazy and nobody wants to touch it. It's been on the floor. I mean, there could be all, no, I was watching people's eyes and the majority of these people, they didn't even notice this thing. That's what noticing feels like for me. That's what noticing just little subtle things, facial expressions, body language, just I've, I've learned the world calls them, you know, some of these micro cues that, that people put off. I just noticed these, I didn't train for this. I didn't study this. I didn't read about this. I've, I've, I've had this since I was, I was a child and I was vexed by it. Mostly I was vexed by the fact that I, I was rolling a certain way and most everybody else in my life was not rolling that way. And I'm like, I, I don't, I want to be like everybody else. I don't, I, this is not fun for me. I don't, I don't quite like this. And I spent a long, long time not liking this. There are many days right now that I don't like it, but I could no more ignore that straw wrapper on a hunter green carpet. There's just, it's impossible. It's just impossible. So I'm saying that not to cast judgment. I'm saying it just for the opposite purpose. I'm saying it to prove not to cast judgment. Can we all improve? Sure. Could I figure out some way to kind of turn, turn it down? I've tried. I'm still trying. I haven't yet figured that out. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying I'm not smart enough and haven't yet figured it out. Uh, can we be more attuned to people? No doubt. No doubt. Selfishness is really easy for all of us. All of us. It can be quite easily our default behavior to just, you know, we're thinking about ourselves and where that fits in here with how many cigarettes a day is your loneliness well, there's your loneliness, and then there's the loneliness of the people around you. Now, some of the saddest stories that you can hear are people who took their own lives and the loved ones left behind and the guilt and the wishful thinking that 
they would have reached out that I would have noticed that I would have, I would have seen something troubling that I, maybe I could have made a difference. Maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. We'll never know, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. You know, we're again, you can think, well, that's selflessness. Yeah, but okay. At a fundamental level, is it, is it? Now I've had some real challenges in my life. I've had some, I've had some real struggles with situations that involved people. And for me to think I could do something and I could have facilitated some different outcome. Let's just think about this. Does that sound selfish? Because quite frankly, it is. For me to presuppose that I have got such an impactful influence on somebody that I could have made a positive difference in an outcome. Well, who do I think I am? But we all feel that we have all been in situations where we felt that we don't think of it in terms of selfishness, but who are we thinking about? Where is our focus? And I know that for myself, loneliness mostly, well, maybe not even mostly, maybe always stems from just being too focused on myself because I'm surrounded by people, but there's something else about loneliness and it's not the isolation, but it's the feeling of being isolated. If isolation is objective and researchers claim it is because, well, okay, you can measure your interaction with people. Much of my interaction is self-imposed. If I want to interact, I interact. If I don't want to interact, I don't interact. And quite frankly, most times I'm pretty good at, if I don't want to interact, I don't. Sometimes I'm in situations where I have to force myself and I do. And most of the time I pull it off because I have learned over the course of my life to be a pretty decent actor. And I act, I act it's, and we all do. I think it's a necessary component of getting along and being part of society and not being just a miserable human being, but it doesn't work if you have to do it all the time. It's exhausting. If you have to do it all the time, you got to have some people in your life that are safe enough that you don't have to act. Usually they're family, which is why I've long argued. Unfortunately, families often see us at our worst. They don't get to see us at our best because we're not acting with our family and we're acting with other people. And maybe we ought to act a little bit more in front of our family. There's that loneliness. Measuring your loneliness and what are we going to do about it? Now I'm going through some stuff right now, but I'm not alone. I got a partner in crime here. It's not a crime. I got a partner in life. I have a wife. Her name is Rhonda. You know, this she's going through it too. And what we're going through and we're going through this together. And yet, you know, it's, it's just. It's exhilarating on one hand because we are 
attempting to seize opportunities, but it is exhausting on another hand because it's requiring some monumental changes in life that we haven't made in over 20 years. And it can be vexing and it can be, it can be, um, it's fretful. It's high anxiety. Now we're both smart enough and mature enough to know that this is temporary. This is not going to be, this is not a way of life that we are embracing. And this is how it's forever going to be. But if you were to, if you were to measure it in terms of how many cigarettes a day, uh, right now it feels, it, it feels like a, I don't know. It feels like a carton a day habit right now. I'm not a smoker, never have been, but it feels like a lot. It just feels like a lot. Now, here's the other thing about this particular kind of loneliness is I don't know that I would have it any other way, right? I mean, it's like, what what do I want? The last thing I want is somebody, oh, poor pitiful you. Yeah, that, I know there are people who love that. I so don't love that. It drives me out of my mind. So the sympathy that, that would only make matters worse for somebody like me and for somebody like Rhonda too, I can tell you. So it's not that, and it's not, well, we just, this is such uncharted water and we need help navigating it. Uh, okay. Yeah. There's some of that. There's a little bit of that, but it's, there's not much of that. Uh, do you just want a shoulder to cry on? Well, we've got each other for that. So the answer to that would be no. The answer for us, I think is currently, I'm just talking about currently is that loneliness mostly is just the angst and the anxiety of grinding out the present circumstance. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're going through something and you don't know how long it's going to last and it's not fun. And maybe if it's like us, it's something you, you want to go through because as painful as it may be, the outcome on the other side in your mind, it's worth it. It's going to be worth it else. We wouldn't take this journey. So it's none of those things. It's just, it's just the grind and you don't enjoy the grind. I don't want to, I don't want this to be a grind. I I would, I would prefer for this to be easy. I would prefer for this to be smooth. I would really, really, really prefer for this to be supersonic quick, but that's not how life goes. And you know, this life has already taught you that. I don't care how you feel. I don't care how I feel. Life has taught us both that this is the way it goes. It's a struggle. It's arduous. It's going to take longer than you want it to. And most of the time, most of the time when we're embarking on something that's intentional, I'm not talking about these horrific surprises that life throws at us, but when you are when you're working a plan, yes, you want it to go in this ideal fashion and it never does, but most of the time, doesn't the plan work out even if only kind of sorta. 
The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And so I'm sitting here and I'm fascinated by all of the times where what I've just said is absolutely true. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of other people. You have seen it in your life and in the lives of your friends and your family. And yet it happens. And it's like, we forget all this. It's like, it's like our history just completely, our history and experience just completely abandon us. And it's like, now we we've got this expectation. It's never been achieved before. We've never it's never gone as smoothly as we wanted it to. It's never gone as quickly as we wanted it to. And yet this time we have the expectation that it will. And because it doesn't, then we get all wrapped around the axle about it. Funny how that works, isn't it? Well, welcome to being a human. Welcome to being a human. We don't like the loneliness. We don't like the pain. We don't like the struggle. Oh yeah, we want to enjoy the fruit of it, the outcome of it, but the process of getting there, no, that, that, that ain't fun at all. You know, I'm an OU Sooner football fan and in watching various blogs of these athletes who are now clearly in off season, but they're training, 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 they're spending time with strength and strength and conditioning stuff. And there was a vlog posted just recently. They get up at 5.30. They're all there. They're in the facility at 5.30 to hit the weights, presumably at 6 a.m. And they hit these weights at 6 a.m. Now, we don't see the actual training. But then they emerge at 8, two hours later. And you can you can just – at 5.30, they're just – they're just, most of them are just so not awake at eight o'clock. They're just completely exhausted. And it's like, it's only 8 AM and they shower and they go to breakfast and it's all good after that. But you think any of them, you think any of them were just the night before they were just so anxious to get this thing going, just not anxious in a negative way, but anxious with anticipation anxious to get up at five or five thirty in the morning to go to the facility and hit the weights really hard for two hours. No, you know what they're anxious for? They're anxious to compete. They're anxious for next season. They're anxious for fall to come. They're anxious to pursue a national title. Will it happen? Don't know, but in their mind, they're thinking that way. Any top level program in the country is thinking that way. And those who've got it together the most and who get the culture right and who get the right athletes, you got to have the talent for sure. Putting in the work, grinding it out. Is it fun? No. Overall, yes, great fun. That morning, no, not the funnest morning. But now that they've done it, they can look back with some pride and some relief that's how our lives are. It's exactly the same way. So what Ron and I are going through at the moment is a moment, but it is a necessary moment to get to the other side. And it is sometimes these moments that produce our loneliness, not always, but for me, that's the context of how many cigarettes a day is my loneliness. It's a lot of cigarettes right now. It's an awful lot of cigarettes right now. 
but that's not permanent. And I may be talking to somebody and for you, it feels way more permanent. Please, 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 please don't let it do not let it feel permanent because I would challenge you. You may not be seeing this thing clearly, whatever this is, I may not be seeing my situation clearly in those moments where loneliness and anxiety just really are elevated. I may not be seeing it clearly. Be anxious for nothing, says the scripture. But in everything, we can still be grateful and we can give thanks and we can recognize God. As a Christian, that changes things for me. That may not change things for you. I understand that. But that changes things for me. And it speaks to the, I think, the central truth of a lot of this. We feel the way we feel. I'm not taking any argument with that. I feel the way I feel. But then when I further, I pull back and I examine it, I got to realize, well, this isn't all about me. This is also about my wife. This is also about our immediate family. This is also, there are other people that are influenced and impacted by the decisions that Rhonda and I are making. I'm not making these decisions. We're not making these decisions based on trying to please everybody. We're making these decisions because these are decisions that we need to make. These are, we believe the wisest right decisions for us that involves growth and improvement. That means change. And even for a person who's not resistant to change like me, it can be stressful and it can be especially stressful as you get older. I know I've been young and now I'm old and it's not easy. It was easier 20 years ago. It's not easy today. And it's not easy for a whole lot of practical reasons. And it's not easy for a whole lot of mental and psychological reasons that come with just being older and understanding that you've got less future and you got more history. And so the pressure on the decisions is amplified as you get older. Trust me. I don't know how old you are. You may be older than me. You may be younger than me, but if you're, if you're my age or older, then you understand the pressure of a decision. It's different when you're 20 because you can afford to get it a little bit wrong. You'll recover hopefully, but as you get older, the decisions that you make, they just become bigger. The magnitude is bigger because you don't, you don't statistically have time. And this is particularly true when it comes to big life kinds of decisions. I don't mean every decision, but the big decisions, the big decisions, no matter what our age, we need to mostly get them right. But I've made some big decisions in my youth that I didn't quite get right. Okay. I lived, I lived. It, it didn't, it didn't destroy my life. I made some others that were bigger and they had at least a short term impact but not a long-term impact. I could make a decision and get it wrong now. And it could completely change the trajectory of what remains of our life. Okay. Well, 
you do feel that pressure as you get older, you do feel that pressure. And at the same time, it's like, well, there's nothing fair about this. I, I have said repeatedly, I don't know that I've ever been better, but I could also be deluded. I've never been this experienced. I've never had this much know-how. I've never had this much insight. I've never had this much maturity. I've never had this much experience. And yet I still have energy, but I'm not deluded. And I understand that mental and physical strength 20 years ago was superior. And it's like, really, (laughs) really? So, so now, so I'm going to make this decision now, (laughs) Well, you know, why couldn't I have faced this 20 years ago? Well, you didn't because it's not where you were in life. All of these factors speak to our loneliness, which is our sense of discomfort, our sense of distress, our sense of nobody knows, nobody understands. I'm here as a voice in your earbuds telling you, yes, we do. We all understand. Do some of us understand it more deeply than others? No doubt. Do some of us have a greater capacity to notice What's going on with you? Yes. Yes, we do. Do most? No, no, they don't. And the reason that they don't is not something to judge them for. It is simply the way life is. They have got their own stuff. I am not, I am not what other people's lives revolve around, nor should I be, nor do I want to be. And I doubt you do either. But sometimes, yeah, we could use a little bit of help. Sometimes we could use a leg up. There's not one thing wrong with that. Find the person. Find the person in your life that you trust. Not the person who says, well, I'll help you. No. Other people don't get to pick this for you. You have got the capacity and you have got to pick for yourself the person or persons who can help you extinguish what you're feeling right now. And they're out there. Like I said earlier, maybe it's a person on the end of an 800 number. Who cares? Think about the person who would man an 800 number for some organization that is trying to help people through a crisis. Let's just stop and think about this. You're likely dealing with a person who number one is a volunteer. Number two, they've had some level of training. In fact, I can assure you they have, but the big one, the big one, they're doing it because they want to do it. They're doing it because it's who they are. They're not doing it because they want it to be about them. They're doing it because they're wired. They're wired to do it because the person who calls in desperately needs it. Needs somebody to just, if not moment momentarily for some period of time, they need some attention. They need some time. They need some love. They need some concern. They need some compassion in this moment. Yes, they need it to be about them and that's okay. That's okay. Because until you get yourself straight, you're not going to be a whole lot of help to the people who need you. 
So we've got to buck up and we've got to, we've got to get the help that we need so that we can increase our resolve and our ability to help the folks that go, I need them. They're who I need. And again, just like you, they get to decide. I don't know. I wish I could uh, be of bigger help. I really do. But you know, you do the best you can and you hope it lands where it lands. And you know, my starfish story made a difference to that one. Lord willing, we'll get back into some uh, <laughs> some funner topics. The podcast sure does seem to uh, run a parallel with my life, but I'm not going to make any apologies for it. It's just the way it goes. You knew what you were in for when you signed up. And if you didn't, well, now you do. moving that's what we've got planned we're moving to where not sure yet <laughs> and you're saying oh yeah you do i'm not lying to you I'm, I'm really not sure i know what our ideal outcome is and i'll talk more about that in a future date you know you plan and you work the plan and you have a willingness to adjust and adapt as you go. I've said it a million times. It bears saying a million and one times. Your ideal outcome can change. It's perfectly okay. It doesn't mean that you're fickle. It just means you feel differently about it. Maybe new information has come to light. This much is true. Rhonda and I both know that we need a change. We're ready for a change. We desire a change. But it's hard. Change is hard. Some of it you feel like you're blowing up your life because in a way you are. You're blowing up the life that once was so that you can create the life that you most now want. And it can be cigarette lonely, man. <laughs> My name is Randy Cantrell. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. I'm glad you're along for the ride and the journey. It's nice to document this with friends. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.